Hey everybody, welcome to the Movies as Mirrors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where we invite a guest on who tells us about a movie that represents their experience in a marginalized community. And we hope through our conversation talking about this movie, we can hopefully understand everyone a little bit better and make the world a little bit more of a unified place. My name is Max Johnson. Hey, I'm Benjamin Thevenin, and this week our guest is Camlin Giddens. Hello. So uh, this week we're going to talk about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is a 1967 film directed by Stanley Kramer about a young couple, Joanna, played by Catherine Houghton, and John, played by Sidney Poitier, who meet and fall in love and plan to be married. The catch is that Joanna's white and John is black, and they must get their parents on board before the wedding. The film follows an evening at the home of Joanna's parents, played by Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, as the family works to overcome their reservations about interracial marriage. Starring Academy Award winner Spencer Tracy, Academy Award winner Sidney Poitier, Academy Award winner Katherine Hepburn, introducing Katherine Houghton, Three Academy Award winners and a bright young newcomer combine their talents in a love story of today. I haven't even told you his name. (laughs) Mommy, it's John Wade Prentice. Isn't that a lovely name? John Wade. Joanna Prentice, I'll be. What the hell is going on here? I love your daughter. There is nothing I wouldn't do to try to keep her as happy as she was the day I met her. But it seems to me, without your approval, we will make no sense at all. That is why I'm asking for the clearest possible statement of what your attitude is going to be. I appreciate that, Doctor. It's uh, almost in the form of an ultimatum. So, um, Camlin, why don't we start by just you telling us a little bit about yourself and why you chose uh, to talk about this film. Sure, sure. Um, So um, I currently enjoy teaching film at a high school, and I've come back to this this state, Utah, recently after graduating and running away to to D.C. and to see if I care about education or not, which I do. Um, (laughs) But my relationship with Utah has been interesting and it connects to the film because it puts me in a place where I'm largely the minority. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely a black person in a majority white space. And it's only recently that I've come to really kind of claim and own and enjoy and accept everything that comes with that. And so to me, I connect with, with this film more than others, even though there are a lot of wonderful films that touch on black culture that I love, I personally connect to this film because of the context of this character, John Prentice, entering a predominantly white family space and the confrontations and the conversations that come out because of that. I've lived that. Max and I have both talked about how much we enjoyed this film um, and how that it stands up. You know, this is a 1967 film. This is like, I mean, in the middle of the civil rights era. Um, mm-hmm. And and yet uh, it speaks to so many issues that we're continuing to deal with today. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I don't know. What are some moments from the film or aspects of the film that particularly stand out that you feel like 
Oh, this so reflects my experience with this. This resonates so much. Oh, my goodness. Um, I love that question. Um, I would say, well, one from the beginning, there's, there are very few wides, wide shots in this film, but there's definitely a very pointed one in the beginning where John Prentice and Joanna are walking through the airport and you like, if you pay attention to the background, you see all these people like turn to kind of look at how they're interacting with each other and they just stare and it's this long take and I, I've been here long enough that I stopped noticing or paying attention to that, but I wonder, my grandmother who visited me from California definitely felt watched when she was mm-hmm. here in this space, and we'll comment about that. Or, um, And my mother will make comments about that. I think it's definitely pretty sensitive with, with older generations, and I've, I connect with that, and I notice that. Um, I would say another... Another moment that really connected with me in this film was where John Prentice, at the end of the film, where John Prentice confronts his father and says, Dad, you see yourself as a black man, and I just see myself as a man. Mm-hmm. And that's something I continually examine in my life. I, I, I almost didn't know if I should do this interview or not, because I sometimes wonder, like, how deeply... Can I speak to this large experience of black culture when I don't just see myself as a black woman, obviously? Um, But that moment was really powerful to me to hear him speak those words, even though, of course, this this culture and this family are are huge parts of my identity that speak to me. That's very interesting to me because I felt like that might be the one part of the movie that might seem a little dated because I feel like our current discourse surrounding identity and surrounding race would really shy away from a comment like that, saying that we need to see ourselves as what we are and that we need to embrace uh, our differences. Um, Whereas I think back then, that was a type of, a sort of rhetoric that I think would appeal to a lot of these white people watching this movie, looking for a slight pat on the back and a slight comfort. What do you think about that? I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you. Um... Not, not to say that one one of these types of rhetoric is better than the other. I yeah, think that yeah, yeah. They both have their place. It did remind me of like, oh, is this, in some ways, the people that emphasize all lives matter, right? We're all just humans. Like, in some ways, that's like kind of used as to to cut against, challenge, um, I don't know, the right. ideas of multi- multiculturalism today. And yet right. that was being, like, that's the words that's come out of Poitier's mouth right in the movie. And right. So. And that's what I was going to say, like, when it comes to to Black Lives Matter, like, I'm going to claim I'm a black woman and I definitely care about this. Um, So that's a space or that's a conversation where that identity would come forth more. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to love, like this story Mm -hmm. talks about, um, how how much of a determining factor does that need to be is, I think, the question. So that's a really cool point, Kamala, because like la- last week's conversation, uh, Alexis and I talked a lot about the ideas of intersectionality and how our culture kind of uh, encourages us to focus on a singular aspect of our experience and privilege that to talk about the fact that our race or our gender or whatever it may be, when in fact we're so many different things. And you're saying like, oh, actually, like in kind of different spaces, absolutely, we choose to, to focus on one or another. In the case of Black Lives Matter, it's important that you recognize your race, 
Whereas in another place, you might talk about your shared humanity because that's what's more important in that particular context. That's a really cool point. Absolutely. I'm curious, like you'd mentioned just now that um, that only recently have you come to kind of appreciate or fully embrace, I don't know, your identity as a black woman um, growing up in Utah. And I'm just uh, a predominantly white space. I'm curious, like what that looked like, like for you, like what like uh, your navigation of your, um, I don't know, part of this community or this aspect of your identity, like looks like with you growing up, especially like here, which is, a, I think, a, not a unique place. There's lots of kind of like monocultural, like white spaces in America. But I'm mm-hmm. just curious about mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. It's been qu- quite the journey to navigate um, because for one, I haven't, I would say my childhood was in Ohio and Michigan. So what's interesting is for the, the beginning of my life, I actually flip-flopped between white communities and black communities at a very young age, which was very um, disorienting but powerful, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so at a very young age, I frequently like entered and moved around to these different communities. And by the time I was 12, I landed back here in Utah and stayed throughout high school and college. So my a lot of my older development happened here in Utah. And by that time, I had a certain critical eye or perspective for otherness or being different and what connects us. So when I, this might be a little bit of a tangent, but this navigation kind of started in high school when I was in an AP history course. And my history book talked about how slaves actually lived in really stable families. That was a sentence in the history book. And I was like, well, uh, can you help me understand what you mean by stable? Like, Mm -hmm. and why... What what I wrote the writers, I talked to my teacher about it. I'm like, how is this in a history book? And who is this written by? I just started asking questions about the perspectives that were being presented. That's pretty cool as a high schooler that you're, like, taking on the history book. Way to I go. was hurt. <laughs> I was very hurt. Yeah. So, and then when I graduated and I came here, I started studying the civil rights movement much more deeply and discovering characters, discovering events that I'd never heard about. So we still don't talk about. And so I was looking for those stories in a historical context. And it wasn't again until college that I started looking for these stories in film context as well. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually asked my parents, because I'm not presented these things in class. I'm just not. I'm not presented these things in education. I'm not presented them in the mainstream. I kind of have to seek them out. I think it's that's changing now, but we can talk about that in a minute. I think that's changing, but um, eventually, while I was in school, in college, I asked my parents, my mother, who's black and grew up in California, my father, also black, grew up in New Jersey, I asked them, what are stories that you've grown up with that I should probably, I don't know, just know mm-hmm. in order to connect to you, connect to my heritage? And so they presented me with this list, and guess who's coming to dinner was on it. And at this point, I'm, I believe I was 24, 23, and I'd never seen the film before, never heard about it. Um, and so watching that film with them was quite a beautiful experience, but too late in the game, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, better, better late than never, right? True. Very true. And I think one thing talking about that, you know, um, when you were talking about growing up and existing in these um, white-dominated spaces. One character that I really liked was the daughter, um, the actress is Catherine. Oh, she was called uh, Joanna. Joey. Joanna. Joanna, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 
how she just has such a excited naivete (laughs) where she has the best of intentions and honestly she probably has a pretty good worldview um idealistically but then there's just so many things are like come on you could be slightly more tactful oh could you just take the pressure off a little bit like it doesn't have to be this perfect right away i was wondering if you had experience and experienced or come in uh ran into people like her in your life that have that sort of naivete and that sort of energy that is misplaced and somewhat damaging. Yeah, yeah. Joanna is a beautiful character. I, I do see her, see her in a very youthful way. Like, oh, you're so young. Like, mm-hmm. this is so cute. But um, it's, it's that statement of, oh, I don't see color. Yeah. Well, actually, I really want you to see my color. I really want you to see it, but not necessarily use that as a, like tool for oppression use it as a invitation to invite me to bring my gifts to your table Mm -hmm. to make decisions to make influential changes to tell you my story so you can understand it's it's that kind of statement that um her character could in extreme levels portray which could be a little dangerous if taken too far um but at the same time i appreciate that she's also transcendent because there's also danger in only seeing the color and never being able to get past it or treating it as this insurmountable issue, which is what the parents kind of have to to deal with Mm because they kind of see it in that light in a sense. And there's this tension between not seeing it, being really idealistic, and this tension between actually this is the only thing I can see and this is a big problem and finding the middle ground between that. Yeah, I I found it interesting that sequence where um, the mother and father characters are talking about their daughter and they're saying, you know, she's just she's just what we've made her. You know, we always said, I like, I love it. color doesn't matter. And, like, this prejudice is never okay. We never said, but, you know, you, you probably shouldn't marry a black guy, you know. And, and so it almost, like, kind of put the finger back, like, oh, like, in some ways, like, white liberalism in erasing, co- like, whatever, racial differences or ethnic differences and stuff is doing a disservice to this conversation, like, we can't just uh, raise up a young generation that is co- colorblind because there's aspects of quote unquote our color, right, that still matter and that was still um, not only like are the source of prejudice, but are the source of like, I don't know, celebrating uh, our different cultures and stuff like that. I thought that was an interesting point. To Absolutely. Make. Me too. I love that conversation. I'm curious, Cameron, what else was on your parents' list? And like, can you put this movie in conversation with other stuff that you've watched? that was recommended to you or that you found on your own that I think like really emphasizes black culture in a way that like mainstream movies don't. So when I watched this film with my parents, they really appreciated the Tilly character and her perspective and her reaction to John Prentice from the beginning being very suspicious. And she says, I don't like seeing a Negro getting out of his place or something like that to that effect. And that's something that caused me to really analyze like what about his character is is out of place for a black person is it his education is it his suit and if so like why is that the thing like where does that come from but to also speak to how perhaps that character may not actually resonate to many black viewers this man is incredibly accomplished he has an incredible history with his education he's really part of the elite Mm -hmm. in white spaces and black spaces, I would say. 
which one is beautiful because we don't well i shouldn't make general statements like that but there are people who don't expect to see that in a black man yeah so that's why i appreciate that being in there but it also creates this tension because it's like oh well of course this white family has nothing to object to because he has no spots yeah but what would the conversation have been like if this character had been more human in, in mm-hmm. flaws that he had? Because sometimes I feel that way. I'm I'm acceptable as long as I'm a good black girl. But as soon as I have a spot, as, as soon as maybe I lose a qualification, then I'm right back down at the bottom, if that makes sense. Yeah, like I couldn't help but think about class here that you're right, like, if, if, especially during this time, if any black man is going to be accepted by a white family as to marry their daughter, it's going to be his character because he's among the most celebrated physicians in the world. You know, you know, it's like it mm-hmm, almost mm-hmm. kind of in presenting him so positively almost kind of does does a disservice. Mm-hmm. But like uh, you, it makes you wonder like, oh, well, but like if he was just an, if he was a mailman like his dad would he be accepted by mm-hmm. this family? Or mm-hmm. does his kind of pres- this prestige of his career contribute to him being able to successfully like integrate or whatever? Right. Um, would this movie work at all if these were two middle-class families? And, and I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'm curious about that. Me uh, too. Especially during that time, you know. Me too. Um, that's a really good point. So uh, back to the question, I'm curious, like, so especially like thinking about like Tilly's character and this like resistance and just kind of the the whole dynamic of these different character interactions, like how does that compare to other movies that you, I don't know, that you like, that Mm. the focus on racial relations, that focus on like kind of the black community and black culture? Oh, I see, I see that connect to several films I first thought of there's Dear White People there's mm-hmm. which is both a f- film and a TV series there's um, I feel like Tyler Perry tries to introduce a lot of diverse characters <laughs> in his films and you know there are people that don't like Tyler there are people that have things to say but you know what my family that's another connective moment where I got to see the generational connection to watching Tyler Perry films and seeing how much they cracked up like he knows my aunt he knows my uncle like <laughs> this is, so they don't necessarily that. speak to you but you see like how they resonate with like your family and at least previous cultures and, and they, stuff. they speak to me as I continue to get to know my extended family uh-huh. in the south mm-hmm. for sure they, they definitely continue to speak to me um, and I just respect what what he's doing in Atlanta um, that's another story um, that I think that's a good point is that like uh Tyler Perry has kind of made his, a name for himself, like making quote unquote like black cinema, you know. Absolutely. And and that oftentimes like it doesn't get the critical or like the commercial like reception that like that other movies do because he's interested in speaking to a very particular audience. Absolutely. And yet like that's exactly what needs to be happening, you know. Like uh, it, it's it, like how can we fault him for? speaking to and telling the stories of a community that like never gets any like rep absolutely you know like it makes perfect sense yeah and there's nothing wrong with i mean it's not like tyler pear is the only black filmmaker out there making it so like no he's just part of the beautiful conversation that's happening yeah did you see his acceptance speech at the there was he received an award recently oh no i haven't it was beautiful we we can look it up in a minute oh my goodness 
um, and he he directly spoke. Oh, I don't I don't want to butcher it, but he directly said like, yes, there are different conversations about where black people are excluded. But while y'all y'all are at the table discussing it, I'm gonna go build a table, and I'm gonna go <laughs> do it in Atlanta. And his studio is on a former plantation land. No like, way. He's reclaimed the land that were owned by slave owners with his studio. And wow. it's just. That is super cool. Yeah. All right, we're going to end the, the episode with um, audio from that exception speech. It's fantastic. Cool. Yeah. And also, I think this movie is especially interesting when you put it in conversation with Get Out because I feel like Get Out comments and quotes guess who's coming to dinner in ways I didn't I didn't know I noticed it did. that too I totally did yeah where like a lot of times they're trying to transform these black people into John Potier types mm-hmm. um, but also how they both have a very similar core message of white liberals who think that they've overcome racism or that they're completely free from prejudice maybe there's a little bit more there that you don't realize and in Get Out, it's obviously made a lot more extreme and a lot more violent. But ultimately, they have the same core message, which I thought was really interesting because it's separated by what, like 40, 50 years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in, in any way, like, I think Get Out seems to, because it's a different genre mm-hmm. in part. True. But also, like, because I feel like there's th- this issue deserves to be digged into a little bit deeper, saying, like, this isn't just like a passive prejudice. Like, this is a deeply harmful thing that still exists in this kind of, like, the intolerance that still exists within, like, white liberalism, right? Mm -hmm. And so, whereas this movie wants to end it with, like, Spencer Tracy giving, like, this kind of 10-minute-long speech, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and everything being wrapped up, uh, Get Out kind of takes the same scenario and pushes it in the opposite direction. Like, sure, you might be woke, but, right... In what ways are you intentionally or unintentionally, like, still, like, uh, I don't know, exploiting other people, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. Like, creating dividing lines, like, literally, like, continuing cultures of enslavement, but within modern context, things like that. Yes. I love love the depths that Get Out goes into, because I do see it kind of on a different, it's part of the conversation with, with Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, but I feel like Get Out really gets at kind of not only the wokeness of of maybe going to the extremes of being woke, but also this kind of like deep-seated obsession mm-hmm. that and appropriation yeah. that's been part of our history for way too long, but is still present. Because um, that's been such an interesting thing for me to think about. Like if, if we're being told that if, histor- if history... And industry tells us that we've been told we are inferior than why this obsession, why this constant, like, need to be a part, to claim, to to erase if it's not something that you really value. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm – this makes uh, – this is an exciting conversation to see how the themes brought up in this movie from, you know, 50 years ago are still present today and that we still see these conversations continuing in movies like Get mm-hmm. Out today. Yeah. Um, I am curious, like, that. this, I guess, is a question for our listeners. Um, what are some of our listeners, like, kind of favorite films that address, like, race relations and ones that do so in, uh, in nuanced ways, like, attempt to do so in nuanced ways like this movie? I think the fact that this movie resists kind of having, like, openly bigoted characters and focusing on kind of... Uh, I don't know, uh, 
I don't know, potentially like more sensitive aspects of this mm-hmm. issue, I think is, is, is among its strengths. Mm-hmm. And what are other movies that kind of uh, take a similar strategy and are able to kind of push this conversation forward bes- mm-hmm. b- b- beyond kind of obvious goods and bads mm-hmm. or something like that? Yeah. yeah, and I'd also just like to reiterate to our listeners that, um, you know, I, Benjamin and I weren't expecting a lot from this movie. We've seen some movies that are, you know, old and dated and it's kind of cringy sometimes. But this movie is... Nothing but extremely entertaining and still holds up really well. Of, of almost, of, of, I'd recommend you watch this movie for fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is. It's yeah. a good watch. It really yeah. is. And, and, and that, like, I mean, we watched, what was it? Like, we watched Flower Drum Song in an earlier episode, and I, I couldn't help but compare these two and, like, the fact that I kind of went in thinking that I would, I would be blushing with how kind of embarrassed and kind of backward some of the representations of like race and culture were. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised at like how these, these messages like, no, 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 we still need this movie now, despite it being still kind of a product of its time and circumstance. Like we, st- these messages are still not messages that we hear enough today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so please in that respect. Yeah. Um, Camelon, uh, you had mentioned uh, early on that like you identified in some respects with Sidney Poitier's character with John. Um, I'm curious if you want to talk about that anymore. Like, are there other aspects? I mean, obviously there's a gender difference, and I'm cu- like, if you want, you can talk about other kind of representations of like black uh, femininity that you find um, interesting or compelling as well. But like, uh, starting with John's character, what do you, what do you connect with? Like, what do you find particularly interesting? Um, I. This might get pretty personal, but I, I hope that's all right. Um, I connect on a couple of levels. One, like I was mentioning before, this is this in is a character without spot, basically. And in my personal life, I've had to make certain adjustments in in order to feel accepted or be accepted. So maybe that's actually the way I, I don't connect with this character. Um well, do you feel like you ha- you you're kind of expected to be like this character in order to I be do. accepted or something I like do. that? I do. Yes. Thank you for helping me clarify that. Yes. So, for example, I, this is a very small thing, but I've noticed situations where certain people love to be sarcastic and tease when they get to know someone to kind of warm up to them and kind of break the ice. Mm-hmm. But if I do that, I get this look like, why is she attacking me? <laughs> what is, what is this an angry black woman? I've finally met one. Like it's, it's so I can't, I can't do that. I can't be sarcastic or tease when I first meet people because it comes off differently. Because people like immediately like kind of slot you into I've this like got... stereotype of like sassy black woman. Exactly. <laughs> I've gotten looks and then they like, think I'm mean and I'm like dang like I guess I've got to pull this back or I'm I'm welcome to teach and comment until I start talking about Black Lives Matter or things that really hurt me or harm me and then Mm -hmm. I it's again it's being seen as attacking or violent my that word has actually been used to describe me or women in my family violent or attacking volatile attacking really yeah yeah when we're just expressing hurt yeah. Or something like that. So in certain ways, yes, I, I react to John Prentice's character positively and also in a very reflective way. I, I was impressed with this film in the sense of how direct it was. It, like, it really is not subtle in its conversation about race at all. And it's very upfront. And this, again, is in 1967 in the middle of the civil rights movement. 
And I was seeing things that to me were responses to even Birth of a Nation, which is also very direct Mm -hmm. in its conversation (laughs) about race from 1915. And I saw things. So, for example, like that film, Birth of a Nation, puts forth these ideas that like black men just use white women for their sexual pleasure. Whereas here we are with with guess who's coming to dinner and. Joanna says, no, we haven't gone there yet. We haven't been intimate because he wouldn't, mm-hmm. implying that she was ready to go there. Um, so there are certain like very direct things that this film puts forth. And as I was doing my research, I connected the language in this film to a film that Oscar Micheaux created five years after Birth of a Nation in 1920. And Oscar Micheaux is one of the first independent black filmmakers I've found i'm sure there's more i would love to be corrected if there are but to realize that that films that are still being upfront today like i mentioned like dear white people justin siemens have existed in black filmmaking way before now like 1920 is the earliest that i i found it with within our gates which is a beautiful film i recommend viewers those researching watching it's available on youtube i just had to mention that before this conversation. But there's ends. a long tradition. There really is. Of black filmmaking that speaks to these important issues. Yeah, being upfront about it. That's cool. And like just, I, li- I really like this comparison of the representations in um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and uh, uh, Birth of the Nation, how they position the relationships between the black men and white women oppositely in some ways to uh, as a response to these like kind of famous mm-hmm. representations that come from our past. Absolutely. So we have to wrap up, but I just had um, one more question for us to end with, Camlin. Um, what? Where do we go now? Like, what? You know, guess. Uh, guess who's coming to dinner is 1967. We've re- referenced films like Dear White People and Get Out from more recently, like um, Tyler Perry's films. What do you like hope to see going forward? Like, what? What? Are, how do we want to continue this conversation? Are there films that need to be made? Representations you want to see personally? Um, that you feel like would continue the tradition that these films that we've talked about have uh, kind of started? Mm-hmm. I, I'm i really, as I mentioned before, I'm really excited about what Tyler Perry's doing. I'm excited about what Oprah's doing. The, the idea of creating networks, mm-hmm. not just one show, not just one film, but like an entire network of of storytelling that's authored by the community itself. Even though, again, this film that I chose, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the director and writers are are white. However, I feel like um, one of them might have been Jewish, I think, or had some some aspect of being marginalized. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to connect to that still, regardless of, of what community you're coming from. And so what I hope to see is is definitely more stories being told from communities themselves, um, whether it's black, Native American, Asian American, I love to see that. And I also hope to see more films that talk about these intersectionalities that we were talking about before. Like personally, like one of my favorite films is Moonlight. Mm-hmm. I, love I love that, that film. Yep. I hope someone movie. comes onto the podcast. I hope we get to talk about, about it sometime. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I do too. Because that talks about so many intricate levels of of identity and development and i love the subtleties of that so i love 
guess who's coming to dinner for its directness, but in my heart, and I feel like what our community might as well need, because I don't know how we'll respond to guess who's coming to dinner today, mm -hmm. but I do see us responding to films like Moonlight in a deeper way. Yeah, that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks again for coming on, uh, Camlin. This has been a great conversation, and thanks for introducing this film to us. It's uh, kind of embarrassing that neither Max or I had watched it until uh, we had, this, had a chance to talk about it on this podcast. Um, so uh, we just want to thank a couple of people at the end of uh, our podcast today. Thanks to Aiden Bay for our musical intro. We appreciate that, Aiden. Also, thanks to Alexis Romero that has um, started to work on our uh, social media presence. So f you can find us on Facebook, Movies as Mirrors, um, and also Instagram. Uh, please, like, whatever, follow us or subscribe or whatever you do with those social media things. <laughs> and um, next week, we will be talking with Madison Ellis about uh, Swiss Army Man. Thanks. The studio was once a Confederate Army base, and I want you to hear this, which meant that there was Confederate soldiers on that base plotting and planning on how to keep 3.9 million Negroes enslaved. Now that land is owned by one Negro. <laughs> It's all about trying to help somebody cross. While everybody was fighting for a seat at the table, talking about Oscar so white, Oscar so white, I said, y'all go ahead and do that. But while you're fighting for a seat at the table, I'll be down in Atlanta building my own. Because, because what I know for sure is that if I could just build this table, God would prepare it for me in the presence of my enemies. Rather than being an icon, I want to be an inspiration. So thank you, BET, my new family. Thank you, everybody. I want you to hear this. Every dreamer in this room, there are people whose lives are tied into your dream. Own your stuff. Own your business. Own your way. God bless you. Thank you, BET. Thank you, Scott. I love you guys.